Thank you, Matt, for that beautiful song, as always. What a blessing. Have special music before the word is preached. Well, I've entitled the message this morning, Proof That It's True. Proof that it's true. Proof that's what true? Proof that the resurrection is true. We talked about that last Sunday, how, how uh, Jesus was raised from the grave. If you would, go ahead and find your um, Bible, if you, if you have it there with you, to Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24. And we want to start in verse number 13. And uh, we're going to go through verse 43. Now, I know that seems like a lot of verses, um, and, and it is. It's a lot, of, a lot of material, but we're going to get through that quickly. I don't want to read it in its entirety right now because we want to go through that together in just a moment. But let me ask you this. Have you ever said it or have you heard it said, well, why don't you just prove it? If that's the case, then why don't you just prove it? If that's true, why don't you just prove that it's true? Well, I'll share a story with you. Uh, my son, Raleigh, and myself uh, went bass fishing. It was a late August afternoon. It's been years ago, a lot of years ago. And I must say that we were very successful that particular afternoon as we, as we fished a little private pond that, that we had permission to be fishing in. And we caught eight largemouth bass. Now get this. Those eight largemouth bass weighed over 40 pounds. And, and I'm no expert in math, but if I do my math correctly then that's an average of over five pounds per bass. <clears throat> but let me tell you what we didn't do. We did not take pictures of the fish. And as we began to tell people what we caught, how many fish we caught, and how much they weighed, guess what? They said, prove it. We had nothing to prove it with. We had no video, we had no pictures of them, and no one believed our fish story. Why? Because there was no proof. I want us to read one verse of Scripture together this morning before we get into our text in Luke chapter 24. And I'd like for you, if you will, to, uh, I want to read it to us, and then I want you to. I want us to say it back together. Okay, it's in Psalm 119, verse number 18, and it says this: "Open my eyes that I may see wondrous things from your law." Now, can we say that together, right there where you are, right at your kitchen table or wherever you are? Let's say that together. Psalm 119, verse 18: "Open my eyes that I may see wondrous things from." your law. The Word of God for the people of God, thanks be to God. Heavenly Father, Lord, as we look at this text this morning, as we look at Luke chapter 24, and as we get into these verses together, I pray that you would speak to our hearts. I pray, Heavenly Father, Lord, that you would show us what you would have us to learn this morning. And what a remarkable story 
a post-resurrection story. After Jesus had come back to life and was walking around on earth after he came out of the grave, what a wonderful story we have before us today. And I pray, Lord, that you would speak to us through your word. And we pray in Christ's name, amen. Under the Holy Spirit's leading this morning, I'd like for us to look at two men that needed proof. Proof that Jesus was really alive following the crucifixion. And I want us to take this journey together down this seven-mile dusty road from Jerusalem to a little village called Emmaus. Luke chapter number 24. Let's go ahead and dive into this together. And I trust that God will lead us through this uh, how he wants to. Find verse number 13. Verse number 13. It says this, Now behold, two of them. Now behold, two of them. Now obviously, it's not any of the original disciples. So he's not talking about some of Jesus's any of the 12. He's talking about someone else. As a matter of fact, when we get to verse 18, you'll see one of those men uh, is named Cleopas, and the other is not even mentioned. So there are two men. Now behold, two of them were traveling. As I said, they were traveling to a little village named Emmaus, about seven miles uh, from Jerusalem. Now let me tell you where that is. So if, if, you're, if, if this is Jerusalem, if this is Jerusalem here, and we're going to Emmaus, we're going to, we're going to go seven miles northwest to a little town and village called Emmaus. So that's where it is, so northwest of Jerusalem, about seven miles. And it says that same day. Now behold, two of them were traveling that same day. What same day are they talking about? Talking about the day, the very same day that Jesus rose from the grave. Now, let me paint a picture here of these two men. Imagine these two men walking down the road to Emmaus. And, and it mentions that they were sad. So they could have had their hands in their pockets or maybe their hands behind their back, their heads bowed because they were deeply disappointed. They were deeply discouraged. They were confused. And in a sense, they really had no reason to be disappointed, discouraged, and confused. Because after all, the women that went to the tomb that morning, they had already heard that they went to the tomb to, and they found an empty grave. And these two men still did not believe. Keep in mind that everyone there in Jerusalem were, was looking for Jesus to come as an, and set up his earthly kingdom. They wanted a military hero, if you will. You know, I also thought about this story this week, and as I read it, something else about these two men. I, I want to think that they were walking in the wrong direction. Oh, what do you mean, preacher? They were walking in the wrong direction in that they, they were leaving Jerusalem where all the excitement was, where thousands and millions of people, there's 2.5 million people, experts tell us, that were there that weekend for the crucifixion and Passover, and they were walking away from all the excitement from those who had, who had followed Jesus, who had, who had loved Jesus and wanted to live for him and walk with him. They were walking away from him. I'll come back to that later. 
verse 14, and they talked together of all these things which had happened. All these things which had happened. The things that had happened three days ago. Remember, this story takes place three days after uh, the crucifixion. So this is post-resurrection. Jesus has already risen from the grave, and he's alive today. But these men want proof. So they were talking about all the things that had happened there in Jerusalem. Look at verse 15. So it was while they conversed and reasoned that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. All sad, down in the dumps, disappointed, disheartened, disappointed, confused, walking down that road. And lo and behold, who comes behind them but Jesus. Now, did they recognize him? Scripture tells us that they did not. Look at verse number 16. But their eyes were restrained so that they did not know him. They did not know him. And he said to them, just Jesus said, said to these two men, What kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? Cleopas says in verse 18, he answered Jesus and said to him this, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? And have you not known the things which happened there in these days? And he said to them, Jesus said to them in verse 19, what things? So they said to him, listen to what they said to him. The things concerning Jesus of Nazareth. Now, now, now they're, they're telling Jesus about what Jesus just went through. So they said to him, said to Jesus, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers did, delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, today is the third day since these things happened. Yes, and certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us. When they did not find his body, they came saying, that they had also seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. Now, look at what Jesus does next. Now, Jesus listened to them. Jesus loved them enough to listen to them. Tell him about what he had just gone through. And then he, he listens long enough and he says this in verse 25. Then he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Verse 26, ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter in his glory? Now, boy, that was probably quite a Bible study walking down that road today. I would have loved to have been there, and I know you would have too. But, but can't, you, can't you just imagine what, what Jesus began to teach? Well, Scripture tells us that he went way back. He went way back to the book of Genesis. Look at verse 27. And beginning at Moses, he started teaching there. He probably started there in Genesis uh, chapter number 3 and verse 15 where we see the first promise of the Redeemer. And I'm sure he probably took him on into uh, Genesis chapter 22, and he talked about Abraham and Isaac, 
talked about the Passover and the Day of Atonement and, and the serpent in the wilderness, the suffering servant in Isaiah 53, the prophetic messages of Psalm 22 and 69, and he covered the whole Old Testament. Boy, what a Bible study. But you see, these men knew the biblical prophecies very well. They were very learned. They, they understood, in a sense, what was going on. But they could not wrap their brain around Jesus' suffering. But little did they know that that was the path to glory. I'm sure they were asking, asking God, why, why, why didn't you just intervene and, and, and keep Jesus off the cross? But see, their, mind were bl their minds were blinded. By what? By the world, by outside forces, by things that, that really didn't matter. They failed to see God's values, if you will. See, the real problem wasn't in their head. They had the head knowledge. They were missing the heart knowledge. What did verse 25 say? Oh, foolish ones and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets had spoken. You see, what they needed was a fresh understanding of God's Word. And Jesus gave them that understanding. It tells us right here in Scripture that He opened the Scriptures. And not only did He open the Scriptures, but He opened their eyes. And they realized that Jesus was not only alive, but that He was right there with them. Verse 28. So they keep on down the road. Verse 28. Then they drew near to the village, that's the village of Emmaus, where they were going, and he indicated, Jesus, that he would have gone farther. But listen to what they do in verse 29. But they constrained him. Now, that, that's a strong word. They didn't just say, Jesus, old buddy, old pal, uh, if you feel like it, you're more than welcome to stay with us tonight. I think we may have an extra room. We may even have something to eat. Come on and stay with us. No. It, the Scripture says that they constrained him. Now, I looked up that word constrain, and it means to compel or to force. They really, really wanted him to stay, and they did everything they could to get him to stay. Now we see, now we see these two men are turning to Jesus. They're responding to Jesus. Look at verse 33. Actually, verse 30. Go back to 30. Uh, 29, but they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, stay here with us, Jesus, for it's toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in and st to stay with them. Verse 30, <clears throat> now it came to pass, as he sat at the table with them, that he took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them. Now, Jesus was at their house. Should not those two men have been the one giving the meal? Blessing and breaking? Well, it turned around, didn't it? Jesus was now the one in charge. It says, as he sat at the table with them, he took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them. Now, some people think this is the Lord's Supper. It's not the Lord's Supper. This is just a meal, a little, little afternoon snack, if you will. <clears throat> and listen to this. Verse 31. Then their eyes were opened, and they knew him, and he vanished from their sight. And they said to one another, 
Did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us? And look at what they do in verse 33. So they rose up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem. Now, they just took a long journey. It's dark outside. It's time to go to bed. Time to get washed up and go to bed. And now they're so excited once they realize what in the world was going on. They rose up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven, that's the disciples, and those who were with them gathered together, saying, this is what they said, the Lord is risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. And they told about the things that had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. Now as they said these things, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and said to them, Peace to you. Verse 37. But they were frightened. They were terrified and supposed they had seen a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? Behold my hands and my feet. Say, look, here, don't, I don't know why you're so been out of shape. Don't, don't be afraid. Here's, let me show you my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me. Put your hand on me. Touch me, he says, and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. Verse 40. Then he said, then, then he had said this. He showed them his hands and his feet. But while they still did not believe for joy and marveled, he said to them, Have you any food here? So they gave him a piece of broiled fish and some honeycomb. And he took it and ate in their presence. Then he said to them, verse 44, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled, which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. Now, let's do this as we, as we wrap it up here. We, we, had a, we had a story that most of us are very familiar with. It's a post-resurrection story. But now let's look and how and see how we can 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 practice what this story is all about. How we can put into practice some some life applications. And I hope you're taking notes. One life application number one: never walk life's highway alone, and always include Jesus. Never walk life's highway alone and always include Jesus. Remember when we started the story, it said the two men were on the road to Emmaus. It said they walked together. And even though they were sad and disappointed and discouraged and confused, they still had each other. But they were still missing something, weren't they? And this person appeared to them as they were walking down the road. Never walk life's highway alone. Have you an accountability partner? Have you a buddy? Have you a best friend? And always include Jesus. John 15, 5, apart from me, Jesus says, you can do nothing. Let me read you one passage in Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 9. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, one will lift up his companion. But woe to him who is alone when he falls, for he has no one to help him up. Again, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? And get this, verse 12. Though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him. And a threefold cord is not quickly broken. You and your best friend, 
and Jesus. Win-win situation. Never walk life's highway alone and always include Jesus. Practical life application number two, build your life around Jesus. Build your life around Jesus. These two men and Jesus' disciples that we talked about last week, they, they underestimated the power of Jesus. They over, uh, underestimated the cost of the cross. They underestimated the power of the resurrection. But it's quite obvious that these two men, along with the other disciples, built their lives around Jesus, their hope, their confidence was in him and he was gone they thought he was gone to come back no more so let me ask us do we build our world around jesus is every beat of our heart wrapped up in jesus matthew 6 33 says seek first the kingdom of god and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you practical life application number three God does not throw us curveballs. God does not throw us curveballs. What are you talking about, preacher? Think about this. When circumstances in our life tempt us to think that God has thrown us a curveball, that God has pulled the rug from under us, that there is no hope, that we have been given misery that we don't deserve, and that somehow God's plan has failed, listen to me. Think again. Think again. That's where the disciples were. That's where we may be today. You may be right where those disciples were. Thinking the lights had gone out. They looked at the death of the one they placed all their hope and confidence in. The one they loved. And can't you see them just looking to God and saying, God, you've thrown us a curveball. Why did you do such a thing? Not realizing that the only curveball that was thrown was that sin and death and hell and Satan. So let's conclude it this way. When we're in circumstances that tempt us to say, this is hard. This is not how it's supposed to be. As a matter of fact, my plan for my life would be better if I were in charge. Now, if that's our thinking, if that's our mentality, if we're tempted to say those things, this is what we're doing. We're doubting the power of Almighty God. We're doubting the power of Almighty God. When we're in this position, guess what? We're right where God wants us. And it's in times like these, we are absolutely clueless of the joy that God has for us when we trust and obey. No rug can be pulled out from under us when our confidence is in the resurrection of Jesus. And let me say this as I close. The beautiful thing is this. These men finally got it. It says that Jesus breaks bread he prays, he gives them the loaf, and suddenly their eyes were opened, and they say, it's Jesus. It's Jesus. And then what happens? He's gone. But when they get back to the 11, and they're all assembled there together, they say, what? What? The Lord is risen indeed. They get it, they believe, they embrace Jesus, and he changes their life. 
we all know that the coronavirus has changed just about everything about us. It has truly, truly affected our lives. But here's the question I want to leave us with this morning. Has Jesus changed our lives? Has Jesus changed your life? Has Jesus changed my life? Pray with me. Heavenly Father, Lord, your word has been read. Your message has been delivered. And Lord, what a powerful story of two men walking down this road. Down to a little village called Emmaus. Conversing with one another. How sad and how discouraged and disappointed they were. And then Jesus comes on to the scene and changes everything from that point on. Lord, the same holds true for us. When Jesus gets a hold of us, when he gets control of our life, our lives are never the same. We're different people. If any man, woman, child, son, or, son or daughter be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, new has come. And this is exactly what happened to these two men and those 11 disciples that they, got, that they caught back up with there in Jerusalem after Jesus opened their eyes. Lord, may our eyes be open. May our focus be on you. May our trust be in you. May our lives be changed because of the resurrection, because of Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.